Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. band really appreciate you guys it's so good to know that Christ is alive be able to proclaim and sing that and remind ourselves that he is not dead he is alive been meditating I just had this this one passage in, in my mind over and over for the, the last while, and I want us to just take a few moments and think about it. It's found in the book of John, chapter 14, and this is sort of right at the end, in a sense, of what we come to call the Lord's Supper. So Jesus has been on earth for about 33 years, ministering for three years of that, just doing incredible signs and wonders, and gathered around Him uh, a rather large group of followers. A couple of hundred at least at this stage that were following him where he was going many of the places. And there was sort of an inner circle of about 12 people. And the very last night uh, before he was betrayed, the night before he was um, arrested, he got them together and they had a meal together. And there's so much that happens at this meal. It starts with Jesus washing their feet and then a bunch of conversations and different things that Jesus shares with them. And at one stage, he says to them, I'm about to leave. And they don't quite understand what he means or where he's going later on. It would all make sense to us now reading it. It makes a stack of sense because we've got the historical context. Jesus is saying to them, I'm, I'm about to leave. I'm about to go to a, a different place. And they get all a little bit anxious about what does this mean? And we pick up here in John chapter 14, verse 1. Where Jesus then says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. So here we have Jesus sort of extending this invitation to the 12 and by implication to the rest of us saying, I'm going before you, but I'm not just going before you by accident. I'm, I'm going before you with a specific purpose. I'm going to prepare a place for you. For us as believers, as Christians, we often find strength in this and in what we call the idea of salvation, the idea that, that we are saved. The idea that there is a place prepared for us that Christ has prepared for us. And as I've been just meditating and thinking around, it's weird that this verse sort of would trigger these thoughts in, in me. But kind of just once again, and I'm sure we all go do this from time to time, just wrestling with what do I really believe? I wonder as we sit here, what is it that we really believe? You know, because believing has implications. It changes things. I remember my brother at one stage, he, 
my, my granddad was a, a big book for sports. He had a great sense of humor, and he loved especially practical jokes. And one day he gave my brother a, a desk and a chair from their house, and we brought it home. And the next morning, my granddad phoned, and he said, he has just remembered that he put some Kruger coins, Kruger gold coins, in the bottom somewhere of the chair. And if my brother can find them, he can have them. And the next moment, kind of, we walked into my brother's room, and he turned the chair upside down, and he'd sliced it to pieces. <laughs> the inside, the bar, he'd hacked it all. He was looking. It was an old fraud chair anyway. It needed to be redone. But he believed enough that there were actions that followed. He didn't just believe, oh, my granddad, one day maybe I'll have a look if there's some gold in this chair. My brother was like, there's gold in this chair. <laughs> if we really believe, and we can joke about it now, that, you know, 5G signals organize, cause coronavirus in our bodies. I remember I kind of got stacks of WhatsApp messages and stuff all like that. And I was like, do you guys know WhatsApp hasn't even rolled out in all of these places? Ach, not WhatsApp. At that stage, 5G hadn't even rolled out in all of the places that had coronavirus. Right, so you're going to have to explain to me how all of this happens. But you know, see, people really, really believed it. If, if I really believe that, you know, cryptocurrency, whatever, is the next big thing, and my actions are going to follow. In the same way, I find myself often just stopping and asking myself in my faith, what is it that I really believe? What is it that I really believe? Do I really believe that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me? Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that when He came to this earth, He came with a specific purpose? And He came to make things right. We'll look at that in a moment. And then He went, not to leave me and you, but to go and prepare for me and you. To go and make things ready for me and you. Do I really believe that my faith and Christ and everything that's about is about so much more than just this earth because belief changes things? I think which we also need to say to ourselves is believing something doesn't make it true. There's a, an element of true of kind of teaching that goes around church at times that if we just believe something enough, it will become true. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that enough for it to become true. I can't believe Mars into suddenly sustaining human life. I can't believe, it doesn't matter how much belief I put into it, the fact is that Mars does not, cannot sustain human life. Yes, there might be a place where God for a time, for a moment intervenes, and that's why we call them miracles, when God upsets the natural order. By all means, God can do that, and God does do that. But that isn't because I believe more or less. It's because we tap into a truth that God has already established. And so, belief doesn't suddenly make everything true. The question should not just, shouldn't be, what is it that I believe because that will become true? A lot of people ask me kind of, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I believe in Jesus? Perhaps it's a question you have often. And my answer there right at the core is not because of some experience that I've had, not because of some teaching I've received, not because of some moment that I've had in the presence of God. As true as all of those are, 
Why do I believe? I simply believe that it is the historical fact. I believe that it is factually correct that God created the heavens and the earth. And if He created the heavens and the earth, guess what? He gets to make the rules. Some people often ask me, kind of, you only love God, you only serve God because He loves you so much. And I'm like, no, I don't. He does love me incredibly much. But you know, I, I would serve Him even if He didn't because He is the creator of all things and sustainer of all things. I would serve Him because He is the King and He is worthy to be served. The fact that He is benevolent towards us, that's just a big, massive, huge plus. He doesn't need to be that to be God. But He is that because He is a loving God. Remember a couple of years ago, we were in India, Chennai, and had sort of half an hour to share. It was quite a large crowd that night. and I just felt sort of God press on me because kind of we're in this environment with where everything goes, there's absolutely no problem with just adding another God to the millions of gods they already have. So kind of just adding Jesus, preaching Jesus, they're, oh, that's a great message, sounds like a good God, let's just add him to all of the other gods we already have. I just felt God press on my heart that for that evening, uh, it's the first time in my life I've attempted this. I, I preached from Genesis to Revelation in 40 minutes, maybe even less. For me, I just so loved that moment because it reminded me about who we are and why we believe what we believe. That there's a God who created the heavens and the earth. And then He made a perfect, in His image, sinless human. We chose to sin, chose to disobey God, chose something else. And since that day, all of mankind has been doomed to eternal destruction because we disobeyed the Creator God. The Creator God who loved us so much said that judgment is real. And judgment must take place, but made a different way that rather than bringing the judgment upon my head and your head, He said, I will send somebody else who will carry that judgment in their place. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe that Christ came in our place to bear our judgment? Do we believe that that judgment is real? Do we believe that that judgment remains for all who do not hold on to Christ and do not receive what He has given us? Do we really believe that? Do we believe in eternity there is a place prepared for me? Do I believe that there is a place prepared for, as Matthew writes about it, for the devil and his angels? And that those who do not receive Christ are headed there? Because you see, believing has implications. It's nice to say that in our mind. It's nice to wake up in the morning and to say, I believe in Jesus and to carry on with our lives. But I've just been wrestling with this. Do, do I really believe that? Because if I really believe that, surely my life would look a little bit different. If I really believe that and I, 
in the same way that if, if I really believed that there was gold hidden in the bottom of this chair, if I really believe there is eternity, surely that's going to impact not just the what I do sometimes, but the very foundation of who I am and, and what I do. Read here in Colossians chapter 1, we also pray, Paul writing to the church in Colossae, and he, he says to them, those of us who are writing this letter to you, we pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power so that you will have the endurance and the patience you need. May you be filled with joy. What a great prayer that is. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This last while, I've just been meditating on this again. What does it actually mean for me to have my sins forgiven? What does it actually mean for me to wake up today and to realize that were it not for Christ, my eternal destiny would be one of damnation and doomed? But Christ. But Christ. I think it's for me just so sobering to sometimes to remind ourselves about that because, you know, uh, the world we live in now is so real and it, I'm not trying to make any light of any of it. You know, load shedding is real and our sickness is real and economy and job security and all of those things and what our children is going through is real and the decisions we need to make about our lives and our families, it's real. The stuff we're wrestling and we're struggling with here. It's real. For me, it helps a little bit if I just sometimes just zoom out and I say, it is real. But what, I, what does that look like? Not just in the light of where I am now, but what does that look like in the light of eternity? I'm on a sort of a public type of WhatsApp group and I think Darren's on the group as well. Is he still in here somewhere? Some guy yesterday posted a bunch of voice notes on this WhatsApp group, private voice notes that he very clearly was not meant to post on the voice note, on this group. And it was about it was like six o'clock in the morning. His sister was upset with him because they hadn't phoned the sister's child to wish her a happy birthday. It's like six o'clock in the morning. And this guy posts his voice notes, obviously wanting to pass it on to a different family member, and by accident posted it on this group with a couple of hundred complete strangers on. And then kind of the voice notes going to and fro about the fact that six o'clock in the morning, the other family hasn't yet phoned to wish their cousin a happy birthday and what, what. And the guy's like, it's Friday morning, we're on our way to work, get home tonight, we'll sing for her. What's the big deal? But it's amazing how little things like that for us become huge things. And kind of I listened to that just 
And I'm, I'm saying that because to me it was just such a ridiculous conversation. I'm like thinking this family is busy tearing themselves apart, swearing at one another about have we sung happy birthday at 6 o'clock in the morning yet? And it's amazing how easy we have our little 6 o'clock in the morning thing that we hold on to. That for us, we get, it blows up and it becomes this huge, massive thing that we're struggling with, that we need to work through, that kind of for us becomes the be-all and the end-all. And I wonder sometimes Jesus sitting in heaven, preparing a place, looking at me, and in love and grace wanting to say, Philip, there are other issues to worry about. Yes, load shedding is real. Yes, the stuff we're going through is real. Yes, there are real dangers. Yes, there are real pains. I was speaking recently, I kind of had all of our, our brothers. I've got a brother in Hong Kong and who lived in Hong Kong for the last 10 years and a brother who's lived in Canada for the last five years and Hong Kong resident, they don't have citizenship and the concept doesn't quite exist there. And a Canadian citizen brother and another brother who's married to an American citizen and they were all here the last couple of weeks and it was just amazing hearing the conversations about all of them have problems. Everywhere you go, it's, it's suddenly, and some of them either they're here now because they don't know where to want to go because they don't want to be back, go back where they came from for a variety of different reasons. Having left and suddenly realizing South Africa is bad, but it's not that bad. It's bad when you're here and you live yourself into the problem. But this world, it's bad. But it's not that bad if I look at it from a heavenly perspective. If I realize I'm just here, for, but do I really believe that? Do I really believe that Christ has gone and prepared a place for me? Do I really believe that my sins are forgiven? It's amazing to me and not necessarily wrong, but it's interesting in the pastoral conversations that we have, the stuff that people struggle with, how much time we spend struggling with earthly things. And we're angry with God because I didn't get the job that I'd wanted and, or whatever it may be. And that is real and I, I get this hurt and this pain there. But you somehow miss the fact that my sins are washed away. It, it becomes sort of a side issue, something that we also say. And I say God is just wanting to bring us back to the place of appreciating again what it means that our sins are washed away. Yes, perhaps it doesn't mean so much while we are here in this earth, apart from the fact that without, and this is pretty huge to me, I can put my head on a pillow at night and go to bed with no guilt and no shame, no worry. I've been in some situations here on this earth where kind of you know that there is a big problem coming. And you struggle to sleep because what are we going to do about this thing, this test, this exam, this assignment, this presentation, this thing, whatever it needs to happen, it's huge, it's big, it's building up, and I'm not ready for it. I don't know if I'm going to make this. And the reality is that if we're thinking of eternal judgment outside of the cross, none of us would be ready. I can't imagine what it must feel like now. I really have no reference for that. Going to bed tonight. And knowing that I am completely covered in sin and I have to stand before a holy God one day. 
I can't imagine what life must be like when you're carrying that weight on our shoulders. Because Christ has come and He's taken it off and I can go to bed tonight and I am completely covered in sin and I have to stand before a holy God one day. But I also have an advocate who will be standing next to me who has already covered the price, paid the price. And the freedom and the liberty, and we sing about the freedom, the liberty, the hope we have in Christ. And it's amazing how easily we want to pull all of those things down into a temporal sense. And we want to find our joy in Christ based upon something in this earth. And I'm not saying there isn't joy in Christ in this earth too. But we kind of lose the reality of the eternal. And then we read passages like in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, which is all about these great heroes of our faith. People who have gone before us, people who are examples, people that we must look up to. And I'm always challenged by Hebrews 11 because a couple of weeks ago, and we'll get back to some of those passages. You know, some passages which if I had to write scripture, I would have written them different. But good thing I didn't because I'm not God. Where I read these passages, I'm like, no, no, God, you, you're getting this wrong a little bit. And Hebrews 11 is one of those passages because it tells us about all these heroes of the faith. And we're not even going to read this piece here. But at some stage, it talks about the fact that they were sawn in two. And I was like, no, Jesus, that's not how it works. Our faith doesn't get us sawn in two. Our faith gets us healed and restored and encouraged and overcome. And God's like, no, Philip, that's not quite what I wanted to write here in Hebrews 11. So maybe my theology needs to be updated. But this is one of those passages that tells us about all of these great people who've accomplished amazing things by their faith. And it says, all these people died. Well, that sucks. <laughs> Still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. But they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city them. And so then I go back and I read all of these challenges that these people in Hebrews chapter 11 go through, the things that they wrestle with, the, the life on this earth that they deal with, and then I realize God is not ashamed to be called their God because they are not looking for this earth. They are looking for a new home, a heavenly home. And God has prepared for them a city. Isn't it such a great encouragement? It's an encouragement to me to know that right now my house is falling apart. And I'm not even joking. I've got a list that I don't even get to write in our kitchen where stuff gets written that must be fixed in the house. And any other husbands around there, any, do you know the crazy thing is? You cannot keep up. doesn't matter how regularly I tick off things. More things get added all the time. And that's not just my house. That's this world. That's the world we live in. It doesn't matter how many problems we get to fix in this earth. There's always going to be the next problem and the next piece of brokenness. And then we hold on to this, but God has prepared a city for us. 
This one we're in is broken and it's falling apart and we could have chosen to make this our home. We can choose to make the other one our home. I love what it says here. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And so this morning, I just have this sense of encouragement in our heart that I sense God is wanting to remind us that He is real. Some of us may remember that, and it's actually a pretty healthy thing. In some churches, we used to do this, perhaps empty at stage, but at times, but we'd get up and we'd recite this little poem of sorts that tells us what we believe. I wonder how many of us in our lives wake up in the morning and we remind ourselves what I actually believe, Christ is risen from the grave. So whatever challenge comes against me today, number one, I believe that God has overcome it, and number two, I believe it's only temporal anyway because there is a heavenly home. The apostles kind of came together right at one of the very first times that a group of people came together to write down what we believe, and they wrote in very different language, but it comes up something along this. If we were to translate this, I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, which just means the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I believe that. And I wonder if our lives, what our lives would look like if we took a passage like that and we really believed that. We didn't just believe it to the point where we said it, but we believed it to the point where we lived it. We believed it because we understood that eternal is worth so much more than the temporal. I remember when I heard this the first time, Something along these lines, I was at that stage still studying quite advanced mathematics, so this illustration made sense to me, and for some of you it may be totally gibberish, but for some of us it makes sense. In mathematics, you have this principle called limits, which means that sort of as a number gets closer and closer and closer to another number, you know, it's like when you start counting to infinity, you know, the challenge with counting to infinity isn't that you don't know where to stop, it's that you don't know where to start. What is the first number that we count if we want to put a timeline to infinity? So the, the challenge isn't finishing. The challenge is we can't start because any number you give me, I can give you a smaller number that we have to start with. And so you get this idea of a limit, which means that we get really, really close to zero, but we're not zero. But we're very, very close to naught. So the limit is sort of X gets closer to zero. And in mathematical terms, if, if you take your time here on earth, so you got sort of a division sum for the non-mathematicians here. Okay. You got the number at the top, the numerator, and the number at the bottom. So if I take 
100 divided by 100. Then my answer, for those of us who are not mathematically inclined, is 1. Okay. And the bigger the number at the bottom gets, the smaller the answer. If it's 100 divided by 1,000, then we're at a tenth. 100 divided by 10,000, we're at a 100. And the bigger the number at the bottom gets, it doesn't matter what happens to the number at the top. If the number at the bottom is big enough, the answer gets closer and closer to basically becoming zero. Someone explained this to me kind of in terms of eternity. They said, how long is our time here on earth? 70, 80, 90 years perhaps. Great, so 90 years divided by your time in eternity, which mathematically speaking, X tends to infinity. That number at the bottom is getting really, really big. Mathematically, how long is your time here on earth? It's exactly equal to zero. Your time here on earth is naught. That's how long we are on earth for. And so how worked up do we get about the naught time things? How worked up do we get about the struggles as real as they are on this earth? I'm not discounting. I'm not saying we mustn't pay attention to them. I'm just saying there are naught time things and there are eternity time things. And we have to trust God to allow us to let the eternity time things overshadow the north time things. Are we really thankful for the forgiveness of our sins? As that prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Colossae, he says, I pray that you may always be thankful to the Father. Why are you always thankful to the Father? Because He has taken you from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and He has transported you to a new kingdom, a kingdom of light. How thankful are we for that? How much are we willing to serve God simply because He has done that? Even if He does nothing else for the rest of our life, I'm not saying He won't, I believe He will because He is a good God and He wants to. But even if He doesn't, Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go into the fire. They're going to be put into this burning, fiery furnace that's made hotter than the burning, fiery furnace has ever been made. So much so that the people who put them into the fire, they die because of the heat. And on the way there, they look at the emperor and they say, Our God, who we believe in, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you. He is able and He does. But even if He doesn't, we're still going to serve Him. The fact that my sins are forgiven is something which we say so easily. I wonder how often we stop and we just think, what does that actually mean? I would have spent eternity in a burning, fiery furnace. I would have spent naught time in a nice little home here. And then eternity where a couple of times when Jesus speaks about it, He says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be wailing and screaming and pain and eternal judgment. That is what awaits me. That's what awaits you. But for Jesus. Do we actually allow that to set the course of everything we are and everything we do? Maybe if we believed that, we would live a little bit different. And not just believe in the way that we say it, but we believe it in the way that we live it. 
And for me, where this message thought really began to hit home was when I began to think of my family and my neighbors. See, it's great knowing that God has prepared a place for me and I'm, it is so real and I begin to live with that driving me. I begin to live with this vision. I'm seeking a heavenly homeland. I'm not seeking this home, so I'm living here. I'm going to be salt and light here. I want to be everything God wants me to be here. But where my excitement is actually is, where my hope is at, where my focus is on that place that God has gone to prepare for me. But what about the person next to me? If I truly believe in eternity and salvation, do I do I believe it enough? And something inside of me, and trying to figure out what this looks like in a, in a modern day sense, because I just think it's weird and perhaps even wrong to stand on the street corner with a Bible, waving it, shouting at all the cars driving past, as people have done in times past. But a little bit of that passion which drives people to do that, it's just like, surely God, they're onto something there. Surely we can't just sit on the street corner and watch people driving past into a burning fiery furnace and not want to do something about it. The what we do it, the how we do it, there we need guidance and wisdom from Christ. But we can't just sit by and just watch people drive into fire and not want to jump up and say, no, no. Don't go down that road. There are landmines down the whole road. Don't drive here. It's not safe. No, but it's pretty. Trust me, you don't want to go there. Lie down in front of the car. We get protesters. The Formula One the other day. I don't know how crazy you have to be to do this. Cars coming at 300 plus kilometers per hour, and they're lying on the road on the Grand Prix as they come around the first corner. Those guys can be lucky there was a red flag just before that and those drivers all had to slack off before they hit them. But believing enough, passionate enough in their cause to be willing to be extreme. And I began to realize in my heart, where is that gone? Am I willing to be extreme? Not stupid for the sake of stupid, but am I willing to step out when Christ says step out? To be led by Christ, to do things that looks a little bit, because I truly, truly believe in the cross. Am I willing to have uncomfortable conversations? Am I willing to speak with people? Am I willing to invite people over, make dinner for people, go and have dinner for people, say, listen, I need to speak to you about something. I need to pray with you about something. I need to share something with you because I really believe this. And there's a city prepared. Jesus is gone and He's made space. He says, there's room for everyone. I would hate for some of those rooms to be empty. I would hate for some of those rooms to be empty because I was too comfortable in this life. That I did not step out enough for somebody else into a next life. So I want to challenge us with that this morning. I want to challenge myself. Can I just say first and foremost, starting here, do I really believe? Because I can read the Scriptures and I can say, oh, that's a nice story and that's cool, whatever, and we can live. Or I can really believe it. And if I really believe it, 
that changes something. Then I can't just put my head on my pillow tonight and say, oh, all those people I met them today look like really amazing people. They're probably going to hell. Now I'm going to sleep well. No, Jesus, you've prepared a place for them. How do we get them to the place that you are preparing for them, Jesus? How do we love them? How do we demonstrate truth to them, God? How do we speak to them? How do we pray for them? How do we step out and allow Christ to reveal himself to them? Because if we believe, then just carrying on isn't an option. Just doing the same isn't an option. Either we believe or we don't. But if we do believe, it has some significant implications. Can we stand this morning? I want us to pray together. I want to pray that then even read 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe you can just flight it there quickly that our, our hope in Christ is only, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. But our hope in Christ is not only for this life. You see, if Christianity is just about here, then we're wasting our time doing it. That's even what Paul says. <laughs> we're pitiful people. But if it's about so much more, so I want to pray that God would reveal to us a little bit of the so much more that He has prepared for us. That we would live with the knowledge that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. That maybe I don't know where I'm going to be staying next week or next month or next year. But I do know where I'm going to be staying in eternity. Because I trust Jesus that He is preparing a place for me. Don't know what it's going to look like. But I know it's going to be better than this broken world. And that it starts there. It starts with every one of us just having this awareness that Christ has forgiven my sin. Yes, that there's nonsense and rubbish in my life. Yes, my life isn't perfect. Yes, it's falling apart in so many ways. But Christ has come to make it right. Not only on this earth, but in eternity. And so step one is, Jesus, I want to receive that. I want to live that. I want to have that in my heart. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, I don't have to be troubled because Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me. Doesn't mean there aren't struggles here on this earth. Doesn't mean they're not real. Doesn't mean I don't have to go through them. Doesn't mean I don't have to wrestle with them just means that I'm just viewing them in a slightly different light. It starts there. And then once that's beginning to settle in our heart, the awareness that that same truth holds true for whosoever would believe in Christ, that they may have eternal life. So Jesus, help us Help us in our brokenness. Help us in our awkwardness. Help us in our weakness. Help us in some way to demonstrate your wholeness to a broken people all around us. 
Maybe it starts by just loving them in the midst of their temporal hurt. As much as we care about that suffering, we care most about their eternal suffering. And that's real to us, God. So God, show us our colleagues, our friends, the people around us, the street corners, the shopping malls, whatever that is, wherever that is. God, we truly believe, and so that means things have to look different. Let's pray, Jesus. This morning, God, we, before anything else, Lord, we just want to come like Paul prays for the church in Colossians. and We want to always be thanking you that you have enabled us to share in the inheritance that belongs to your people. That you have rescued us from a kingdom of darkness and transformed us into a kingdom of your Son. That you have purchased our freedom and you've forgiven our sins. And Jesus, if that is all you had ever done, it would be worth so much more than we can begin to imagine even if that was the only thing that we ever got out of knowing you, that would be so amazing, God. So we just want to stop and say thank you again for salvation, Jesus. Thank you that as we look at a burning, fiery furnace, Lord God, as we look at eternal judgment and weeping and gnashing of teeth, Lord, that we are not headed there anymore of you but we are headed there where you have gone to prepare a place for us Lord I pray that we may begin to glimpse that place which you have prepared for us Lord God that we may live for that place that you have prepared for us Lord that we may dream of that place which you have prepared for us so much more than we may dream of anything here on this earth. Jesus, I pray that it would become so real to us that we would truly, truly be believers, Lord God. And as we believe that our, our thoughts, our actions, what we do with our time, our relationships, our finances, our careers, our families, all of that, God, would line up with the fact that you have prepared a place for us. God, before anything else, we just want to say thank you for that. Thank you. We want to receive that, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we receive that, we begin to realize that we are not alone in our brokenness and in our hurts, in our guilt and in our shame here on this earth, Lord. It's all around us, Lord. And Jesus, we ask for grace to hear where you have transformed us into the kingdom of your Son. We may somehow extend our hand to others and invite them across, Lord God. That as real as our eternal salvation is, 
Lord, that their eternal judgment would be just as real to us, Lord. And that we would take your yoke and learn from you, your burden which is easy and your yoke which is light, Lord. That we would realize, God, we cannot save them, Jesus. Only you can do that. That our hearts and our prayers would become for them, Lord God. That we would burn for those who are far from you. We would burn for the lost, Lord God. That the reality of heaven and hell, God, won't just be a nice side issue discussion, God. But it will again be central in all we are, Lord. Our thankfulness for your salvation to us. Lord, and our desperation for your salvation to others. Can I invite us just wherever we are, if the Holy Spirit has stirred something in your heart this morning, that you want to take a moment and just respond by speaking to Him about it. Perhaps it's about your own salvation, your forgiveness. Maybe that's something that you struggle with, just knowing that Christ has paid the full price. You can come to Him this morning and know that He has. His price is more than enough. You don't have to walk around with that guilt and with that shame. Maybe that's you and you just need to bring that before Jesus. Maybe like me, you just realizing an apathy that has crept in for the lost, for those who do not have what we have. You want to bring that before Jesus and say, Jesus, would you just stir a fire inside of me again, Lord? I don't want to be able to look at people that are headed to a fire and just carry on in my own merry way as if nothing is going wrong. do something in my heart, Jesus. Just stay where you are. Whatever it is that God's stirring in your heart, you just respond to Him. listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.org.